Hey everyone, Pastor Kevin, listen, today I have a word from the Lord that I believe is going to be a blessing to your life, strengthen you in your journey. All of us need a shot in the arm in our faith, and I believe that word today is going to do that. Take the next few minutes, spread the word, tell your friends and family this message is coming on. I'm believing it's going to change our lives, and I want you to hang on till the end. I'm going to come back and pray for your needs, and I believe God's going to touch today. Let's jump into this word and be blessed. I'll be back soon. I want everyone to stand if you're not already. Let's go to the Word of God this morning. Doris, the Lord bless you for those kind words and thank God for you and impossible to articulate how grateful we are for this church, for your families and for what the Lord is doing. It is special. I said it is special. And it's special because the Holy Ghost's presence is special. And if you ever take it for granted, I was teaching this last Thursday to the Ruach Global Pastors. I said, let me encourage you, if you don't have spiritual momentum, you can get it. But let me warn you, if you have it, don't take it for granted. Because I've known places that have church but don't have God. I'd rather have church with God. Say amen. And so, we're grateful for what the Lord is doing. I'm going to begin a, a series this morning um, from the Word of God. It is Christmas time, and I know that some people get tired of preaching things we've always heard. We need to be reminded of what this is all about. The main thing should always be the main thing. And I'm going to begin a series this morning called The Nativity Scene, S-E-E-N. Chad did not misspell it. I did graduate from kindergarten. Hooked on phonics did work for me. And um, I want to talk, it is a play on words because I, I don't know if you have a nativity scene at your house. I feel like we have 12. And, um, but we need to see what's going on at the nativity of Jesus because how many know he's still the main thing? And there are some people at the nativity scene that I want you to see over the next few weeks because there's a message in those who have gathered around this baby in a manger. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. And he's not a broken man on a cross. He's a risen Christ. And he is alive forevermore. Can you say amen? Luke chapter 2 is where we will find our text today. And I rise today to give honor and praise to God and Jesus who is the head of my life. How many think he's the best thing that ever happened to you? Can you help me welcome all of our online family? Come on and tell them a big God bless you. We love you. And if you did not get registered to help us with Christmas share, we do have uh, actually, a little more than 1,800 now. You know, we have found that this holiday season, there are more people needing help than usual. And uh, I reckon so. You go to the grocery store, buy a gallon of milk and some diapers, and you need to go get a personal loan for it now. But how many know that God is still good in providing? And I have a feeling that we just didn't just meet the need. I have a feeling we just went above and beyond what we needed to make sure every child gets Christmas, and I need someone to get thankful with me and praise the Lord. Even in a year where 
inflation is crazy and it's a little bit, you know, tight and people are hurting. There are hurting and struggling people. I'm thankful we get to be a blessing next Saturday. 2,000 kids are going to receive Christmas and that ought to put a smile on all of our faces. And because of your generosity, it's going to happen. Let's go to Luke's gospel, the second chapter, the sixth verse. When you got it, look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, I'm giving you a word of caution. Don't eat the second helping of dressing. <laughs> Chill out on the double stuffed Oreos. Be careful now. We, we got to pace ourselves for the holidays, all right? Pace your, look at your neighbor, tell them, pace yourself. <laughs> Some of y'all got bitter. It's okay. You Alabama and Georgia fans have nothing to smile over either. Neither one of y'all are going to the college football playoffs. Hallelujah. All right, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Some of y'all like, I ain't giving him no offering next week. The devil is a lie. It's all right. I love you still. It's okay. Luke chapter 2, verse number 6. When you have verse 6, say amen. amen. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for Mary to deliver the baby. And she brought forth her firstborn son. They wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country or the same field shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in a manger. Now when they had seen Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then, somebody say then. Then the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And today, there are a number of characters in every nativity scene that that, that, we, that are common to each nativity scene. But today I want us to focus on the shepherd, the shepherds. I want to talk about the shepherds this morning. I want us to see something in the life of the shepherds and may the Lord allow it to speak to our hearts today. Let's bow our head and pray for me. I'll pray for you, Father. Thank you for the people of God. I pray for the next few minutes you would anoint me to preach and teach with unction and clarity. We don't have time to waste. We need more than a talk. We need the word of the Lord. 
I pray today you'll wake us up. Let us get involved, activated, engaged in the preaching of the word, receiving the word with faith. I pray today you would shake some stuff free, break some stuff off, loose some blessings on the people. I thank you that their house will be marked by your favor this holiday season. I declare depression is unwanted. It's not received. Get out of our house. Get out of our mind. I pray in Jesus' name that all spirits of heaviness would fall up under our feet. I pray that everyone struggling, even those who are dealing with financial issues and the enemy got them down, let them be reminded today that they have the greatest gift that the world has ever received. It's not under a tree. It's not under wrapping paper. It's already been opened up. You've already saved us. We've been delivered. We're saved and we belong to God. So give us joy that is unspeakable and full of glory today. I bless our people and I pray now that you will bless this house. Father, we pray right now, especially for next Saturday, that you would touch the people of God as we minister gifts to the community. Let the community experience the redemptive lift of God. In Jesus' name, and the people said amen and amen. High five somebody on your way down and tell them I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. For the next few weeks, the world will focus on the gifts and the gatherings, and I think that is quite all right. I think it is in order to experience the fellowship and the fun and the love and the gifts. I know that even as Doris was talking today that those of us who have experienced some loss, it'll be challenging. These times of the year must be, um, we must understand there are people experiencing a modicum of emotions. We go from joy and those who've lost family, they kind of vacillate in between joy and grieving. And I want everyone to know that we're praying for the entire church family because Jesus, even in the midst of loss and lack, Jesus is enough to give us all joy. Can you say amen? It's important for me that we keep the main thing the main thing. I, I suppose I'm a traditionalist. I take that with a badge of honor in this crazy world that is always looking for something new. Give me what works. Give, give me what is tried and true. And, and for the people of God, I just believe it's important to keep telling this story of the virgin birth of Jesus. I've told it for 23 years as the pastor. I'm always going to preach about the arrival and the advent of Jesus, and I'm going to preach it without apologizing or any kind of hint, a hesitation because the world needs to be reminded that although it sits in darkness, a great light has come. Jesus really is the Savior of the whole world. And we want to tell the story, though it be ancient and though it be old, we want to tell the story, continue telling the story, and we want to remind all of our hearts and we want to remind those that are in our lives of what this season really is about. It's about God becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood. He came from heaven to earth so that you and I could find eternal life. How many are thankful today you have eternal life? Somebody say amen. amen. I was I always in November begin to turn my heart toward December. Lord, what are you saying at Christmas time? And I have the uh, the, the, the privilege and the responsibility. My friend Jody and Deanna come over and we put some trees up and uh, one of my least favorite things to do is carry things downstairs. And the least favorite thing to carry downstairs after the eight Christmas trees that we put up, I said eight, eight. I hope y'all are happy, Devin, eight. Um, hope you enjoy all of them. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but... Um, 
one of my least favorite things, uh, Julian, I need you to get on the organ. I'm going to preach today. Um, one of my least favorite things to carry down is this, this um, nativity scene that Devin found several years ago that is made out of some lead composite. Uh, the baby Jesus weighs 14 pounds. Um, the cow weighs 40 pounds. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever carried down two flights of steps, and it's in a box like this, and when I came down, I found myself stretching and, you know, getting all worked out because I had to bring this nativity. We have a nativity set in five or six different rooms of our house. Every room you go into, there's some sort of nativity scene, but this one takes the cake. It is massive. It weighs over 100 pounds, and it's got Jesus and Mary and Joseph, like all nativity scenes, three wise men, which we're going to talk about. That sounds good, but that's not necessarily true, um, and it's always got one shepherd who looks broke, busted, and disgusted. And then it's got an angel who's kind of watching everything happen, and they've got this real luck, you know. And, and I'm looking at this, and baby Jesus always got this look on his face like he was full grown, but he's just a, like he's having a conversation with his mama. I need some more bottle, you know. <laughs> so we set all of the nativity scenes up, and I was, I was thinking as I set those nativity scenes up, we always see the nativity scene, but rarely do we take a moment and pause and consider the story of each of those people at the scene. And I want us to see those who are at the scene, and I want you to consider that their being there and the message that God has through their presence at the birth of Jesus is significant for us. God's wanting us to see something about all those who were standing at the side of that that manger when Jesus was born. Their presence there has something to say to us, and the world really needs to know it is significant that on the night Jesus was born, the first people who heard were not priests in a temple. It wasn't Pharisees sitting around some religious table pontificating about the deep things of Scripture. When God got ready to become flesh and when he sent his son through the virgin womb of a girl named Mary to be born, the first people to be heard, the first people to witness the miracle, the first people to be notified by the angelic host was not the priest, it was not the temple people, it was not the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Essenes, it wasn't any of those people. The first people to be notified from heaven that the king had been born was a group of shepherds. And that is fascinating to me, that God would take the greatest birth in the history of humanity so seriously that he would go get a suspect group of shepherds and tell them, I need you to go see this and I need you to go say what you saw. And as you read the story and you see the presence of the shepherds, so many times again as we look at the nativity scene that we bought at J.C. Penney's, my mama got hers from Sears 52 years ago, and they got the same old broke down looking shepherd that mine has, and it's just one shepherd and he looks lost and he looks puzzled and he looks like, you know, how did I get here and, you know, what's this, what's this baby doing in the, and, and really that's neat, but that is not reality. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today about a reality concerning the shepherds that perhaps you have never heard before. And I'm not trying to preach something to you that is proprietary. I don't want to pull it out of thin air. I hope you don't leave and think that I took 
hermeneutical uh, 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 privilege and, 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 and made something there that wasn't there. But I think when I get through teaching this, I'll show you from the scripture that what I want to show you today and what I want to say today is in fact more real and more true than the presentation that we've been shown all of our life about the one struggling shepherd who somehow happens upon the nativity of Jesus and wonders what he's doing there. Because these group of shepherds that are found in Luke chapter 2, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about the shepherds. Can we just be real? As you read Luke chapter 2, which is the only place where a lot of detail regarding the birth of Jesus is given, there's none spoken of it in Mark. There's none spoken of it in John. A very little piece of it is spoken of in Matthew, but Matthew really begins to invest himself in telling us the genealogy of Jesus, and then suddenly Herod is there, and the wise men are coming, and Jesus is being born, but there's not a whole lot about the birth. It is the writer Luke who spends the most time talking about the details of the miraculous birth of Jesus. And while I am thankful that he makes sure to write about the shepherds, he does not give us a ton of information about the shepherds. There is, however, a tremendous amount of extra-biblical literature that gives us insight as to who these shepherds are and what their life was about. Now, when I say extra-biblical, those conservative theologians among us would say, we shouldn't talk about extra-biblical literature. Listen to me. There is truth that's not in the Bible. How many would agree with me the Bible is all true? But not all truth is found in the Bible. There are other sources where you can find truth. Your math book is filled with things that are true, right? Science books are filled with things that are true. It's also filled with some lies, but there is truth there. And my point is, when I say extra biblical, it doesn't mean that it's not true, and it doesn't mean that it's not significant. I am not suggesting to you that extra biblical means that it is inspired by God, but there are writings and there are historical things that are given to us over the years that do contain truth. And when you look into history, you will find that at the birth of Jesus and the time of Jesus, writers like Josephus, who gave us insight, rabbis during the days of Jesus, who gave us insight and truth of the lives that were being lived during the days and the birth of Jesus Christ. That's my point. And some of those extra biblical pieces of literature give us tons of information about the shepherds. It's fascinating to me that in the Rabbi Schmidt, it's called the Mishnah, you can research it and you will find that during the days of the birth of Jesus, just outside Bethlehem, there was a group of shepherds, they were like royal priestly shepherds who were assigned and designated as shepherds who were called to raise a certain group of lambs that would one day be fit for temple service in the temple just up the road from Bethlehem. And these royal shepherds, these priestly shepherds, as it were, they were well, they were well acquainted with the Levitical um, um, qualifications of a lamb and what a lamb must be used for in order to be taken to the temple weekly or annually to be sacrificed and made as an expiation, as an offering to God for the sins of the people. And so we know from history that these shepherds existed. These royal priestly shepherds really did live and exist. And they existed in the community just around Bethlehem. They were responsible for taking the lambs and they would they would take the ewes who were re ready to give birth to the lambs and they would move them to a specific area so that when they gave birth, they could take special care of that lamb so that one day in its future, that lamb 
could become a lamb that was used in the temple sacrifices. Now, what is unique about this, and again, this is extra biblical literature. You will find this in the rabbi's writings. You will find this in Josephus' writings. You will find this uh, in, in, in other writings that accommodate the text. What is unique about this is that there was a particular tower that was out in this area of Bethlehem a tower that dated all the way back to the 35th chapter of the book of Genesis. It's a tower that they believe was erected over the tomb of Rachel. It's called the Tower of the Flock, or in the Hebrew, it is called the Migdal, M-I-G-D-A-L, the Migdal Eater, E-D-A-R. And literally, the Migdal was a tower in the Hebrew, and the word Edar is the word where we get the word a ewe or a lamb. Okay, so it's called the Tower of the Sheep, a Tower of the Flock. And it was over Rachel's grave that they built this tower that historically would become a place out in these sheep fields where a shepherd would crawl up into this tower. And over the years, as they brought these sheep in, and this became a place where lambs were born, they would, they would, the, the shepherd would ascend into this tower and watch over the sheep in the field. And this higher, um, this higher point of view provided the shepherd an opportunity. Now, just stay with me. Some of you are like, I feel like I'm on a National Geographic trip right now. What are we talking about? Just, just follow me. They would go up into this tower, and from this higher perch, they would be able to see wild beasts or animals that were coming in to try to attack the lambs out in the field. And when they had, when they had a pregnant you who was getting ready to give birth to a lamb, they would take those pregnant sheep and they would put them inside the tower. In the tower, there was a place carved out at the bottom floor of the tower where they would literally allow these pregnant mama lambs or sheep to give birth to these lambs. And when the lambs were born, the shepherds, these royal priestly shepherds who were responsible for the raising of the temple lambs, they would take the newborn lamb, wrap it in white cloth, and they would preserve that lamb, protect that lamb, inspect that lamb, and they would make sure that lamb would one day be fit for temple use. This is all on the outside of Bethlehem. On the night Jesus was born, those shepherds in that particular area, and if you pay careful attention to the language used, um, you, you can see it because the New King James says there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field watching over their flock by night. But the word country in the Greek is really not like another in the same nation. It's literally like saying in the same area, in the same yard, in the same field. There were in the same, so wherever Jesus was born and whatever was going on in Mary and Joseph's life at that time, there were in the same vicinity shepherds who were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks of these lambs at nighttime. And one night while they're taking care of their lambs and their sheep, an angel shows up in the middle of the dark sky and freaks the shepherds out. And you say, well, why would it freak them out? Because we have presented angels in today's world as cute cherub who have a bow and arrow and a bubbly belly and some short wings and curly hair and a cute smile. 
But that is not what an angelic host from the Bible really, really looks like. If one angel showed up, imagine if you were walking downtown Chattanooga, it's pitch black, it's three o'clock in the morning, and suddenly an angel walks up into the sky. You don't just say, whoa, that's pretty incredible. Let's YouTube this. Let's put this on uh, Instagram. Let's... No, you freak out. So while the angel said to the shepherds, do not fear. And the Bible says, just follow me here, the Bible says that the angel looks at the shepherd, the shepherds, and the angel says, fear not, I'm actually bringing you good news. If you're a shepherd and you're taking care of sheep and you're probably feeling forgotten because they really didn't have a life, we know from history that the shepherds really weren't social people. They didn't have much of a life. In fact, they lived their life very lived their life very superstitiously, and they were always afraid of something. They were always on edge. And so, can you imagine being out in a field taking care of sheep, and suddenly the sky lights up with an, a twelve foot angel, and and they all almost pass out. And the angel says, "Wait, don't fear. I'm actually bringing you good news. I'm bringing good news to you." Look at verse number ten. I want you to see this. Do not be afraid. Come on, tell your neighbor, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Isn't it funny how life has a way of trying to condition you you with fear and hopelessness when God is not coming with a message of fear and hopelessness. God is actually coming with good news. I need everybody to make the adjustment today that, listen, if God wanted to get you, he could zap you. God didn't want to zap you. God didn't want to zap me. God didn't want to destroy the shepherds. He actually freaks the shepherds out. They're expecting bad news. They're probably thinking about what they've done wrong. They're probably thinking about, I finally met, my my day has come to reckon all the mess that I made in my life. And instead of God showing up and saying, I'm coming, to get you, God shows up and says, don't freak out, don't panic, I've got good news that's going to bring you great joy. Now, I want to make an adjustment for all of us in this room. We have got to quit anticipating bad days and horrible seasons and how bad it's going to be, and somebody's got to start understanding that God is not bad, God is good. God is not out to get me, God is out to be good to me. If God wanted to get you, you, he would have already gotten you. There's been plenty of me for him to get, and he just keeps on being good time after time. I wish I could find me one witness in here who could testify that when I deserve something like judgment, he gave me mercy anyway, and that is the goodness of God. Can you say amen? I think sometimes we get conditioned for negative things. We get conditioned for bad things, and some of you have a greater propensity to believe God that the next season of your life is going to be hell on earth, and it's going to be full of heaviness and depression, and why is that? Because the rest of your life has been up and down. Listen, let me tell you something. Serving God doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It just means that you won't have a bad life, and it won't end bad. I wish I could find me a witness in here. There may be bad days, and there may even be tough seasons, but it will not be a lifelong sentence The angel showed up and said to the shepherds, I've got good news that's going to bring you great joy. 
I hope you see that. The good news was, he says this, the angel said, this is crazy. The good news is for you. Preachers, you don't just have good news to tell. You have good news to experience. Christians, you don't just have good news to tell. We'll get to that in a minute, but you have good news to hear. It's not just for the whole world. It's for you. Why do we have a hard time believing that the good news is for us? Because we know us. Oh, y'all can look at me and act like you don't know you, but you know you better than anybody else knows you. And you know your failures, and you know your sin, and you know your past, and you know every reason why God shouldn't be good to you. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not that God ignores it. It's not that God doesn't care about it. It's that mercy triumphs over judgment. He could get us, but he don't want to get us. He wants to be good to us. And the shepherds teach us that this message is for you. Now watch this. He says, I've got good news that's going to bring you great joy. And it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for everybody. Say everybody. Don't say everybody. Say everybody. This is going to be good news for everybody. I'm trying to find out why the church is trying to religiously relegate the goodness of God to a couple of people who've got all their ducks in a row and do it all right when none of us are right and none of us have our ducks in a row. And I hate to tell you this on a December Sunday, but all of us are screwed up. I said all of us are screwed up. We all need good news and none of us deserve it. But it's not just to us. It's to everybody. Which means he anticipated, I'm going somewhere, he anticipated that those who saw and heard would tell and show. Shame on us if all we do is experience the goodness of God And we take in the goodness of God and we give it to nobody. This is why people don't want anything to do with God. It's because the religious people who act crazy have given God a bad name. And the people who know God and have really experienced the goodness of God are satisfied to get loud in church on Sunday and then also satisfied to be quiet and sit down on it out there Monday through Friday. I tell you this right now. Everybody in your job ought to know about the goodness of God in your life. You say, yeah, but I'll get fired. Honey, I'm telling you right now, if it's real, there are people who will ignore what, what the protocol is They want to hear the story of God healing your body of cancer. They want to hear the story. I know there's some knotheads you work with that want to make your life a living hell, but there's some single parent mamas at the cubicle next to you. They don't just need to go. You go to church on Sunday. They need to see. Somebody needs to tell somebody what the Lord has done for them. Has he done anything for anybody in this room at all? This isn't just good for the shepherds. It's good for everybody. It's good news for everybody. I want to say this to you right now. The church has got to stop her classification systems. 
I've said this for a year and I'm gonna say it again. There's not a community on planet earth Jesus didn't come to die and rescue. He came to die to seek and to save every person. And I'm talking about people who voted like you and people who didn't vote like you. I'm talking about people who dress like you and people who don't dress like you. I'm talking about people who have your color of skin and people who don't have the color of your skin, people who make more money than you and people who live on food stamps. There is nobody in this city that is so rank and vile that Jesus it's good news it's good news for everybody it's good news for everybody and I want you to understand today that when Jesus was born the Bible tells us very clearly that the night he was born, it was good news for everyone. Now listen to me very carefully. When the angels showed up, they said, for unto you, born. Don't miss it. Small word, massive implication. He was not voted king. He was not appointed king. He was not selected king. He was not elected king. A group of Pharisees didn't huddle up and say, this looks like our king. This king came from heaven, born through a virgin womb. My God, I feel his anointing. When he was born, the angel showed up and told the shepherds, this night, born king. In other words, deal with it. You may not like him, but you don't get to choose him. Deal with it. He's the king. You may think he should have been another race. You may think he should have been a female. You may think he should have been this. I'm telling you what he was. He was a Jewish baby born through a Jewish lineage. And I'm saying that for all my anti-Semitic friends who don't want to talk about God blessing and God choosing the Jewish people. The king of glory is a Jewish man with nail prints in his hands and nail prints in his feet. And one day a Jewish man is going to sit on the throne of his granddaddy David and rule the whole world with a rod of iron. That's what he's going to do. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was not a president, a pope. He did not come as a guru or a guide. He was not a sage or a spiritualist. He was more than a rabbi, more than a mentor, more than a leader. Had we just needed more money, God would have sent a banker. Had we just needed world peace, God would have sent a negotiator. Had we just needed political reform, he would have sent a politician. But God did not send a Republican. God did not send a Democrat. God did not send an Independent. God sent a Savior because we were sick, we were dying, we were lost, we were sinking and on our way to hell. We were sick with sin, bitten by the curse, enemies of God and strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. So in the fullness of time, God sent his son and for those who have trusted and believed him as Lord, he has washed your sins away and recorded your name in the Lamb's book of life. My God, if there's ever a reason to be happy, it is because you know your sins have been forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. So God sent a savior because we needed to be saved. And I said all that to say 
that God, when he told them the Savior was born, the angel, when he said the Savior's born tonight, he said, I'm gonna show you a sign. Here's the sign. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Well, what does that mean? Well, to us who've not seen past the Christmas nativity scene, it means that the hotel was full, Mary and Joseph ran out back and found a cow stall, and Jesus was born in a hayfield. That's not what happened. I'm gonna tell you what happened on the night Jesus was born. He went back to that tower. Can you put Micah chapter four, verse eight up for me? He went back to the tower where they built over Rachel's tomb. And he went back to that place where historically we're told that the shepherds would gather and they would ascend that tower They'd look out over their field and make sure no wild animals were coming. And then at certain times of the year, they'd take their flock out of the tower and they'd go out in these fields and graze. This is why we know Jesus wasn't born in December. He wasn't born in December. I'm sorry to tell you that. We can celebrate it. I think it's just fine. I have no problem with it. But Jesus wasn't born in December because the, the flock would have never been out in the field in the cold. The fact that they were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night lets us know it was a bit warmer that time of year, which means that Jesus was probably born sometime between May and September. I was born on September 16th, and I like to think so was Jesus. But if it wasn't, I don't care. I'm kidding. Some of y'all don't know how to take me. How many know it doesn't matter the exact day he was born? How many know he was born? And when the shepherds saw this angel and the shepherds said, good tidings of great joy for you and all people has come. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I'm going to give you a sign, Mr. Shepherd. I want you to go find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. Now stop. No more detail is given. No address. No city. No area. No specificity. No detail. Just go to the manger and you're going to see a sign. Which lets me know one thing. That whatever the angel was talking to the shepherds about, the shepherds knew about it. They had some understanding of where this child would be and where this manger could be found. Do I make sense when I say it? It would be, otherwise, it would be like an angel showing up today and saying, Go over to Chattanooga and in a manger, in a house, in a bedroom, a baby's been born. Well, what does that mean? There are houses all over Chattanooga, but to a shepherd, who was looking for a sign, and the sign was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, that shepherd knew what manger that the angel was talking about. What was the manger the angel was talking about? It was a manger under that tower that those shepherds had helped give birth to lambs for years. And whenever those lambs were born, history tells us the shepherds with a tender heart would wrap those lambs in swaddling cloth and 
take care, special care of every one of those lambs. Why? Because one day that lamb would serve a purpose in the temple and would give its life for the, for the expiation and the satisfaction of the righteous judgment of God. And on the night Jesus was born, it wasn't the priest, it wasn't the temple leaders that got word from heaven first. It was the shepherds, those royal priestly shepherds who had spent and dedicated their entire life to raising up lambs that would be used in the temple. And on the night, I feel a little preach in me right now. On the night Jesus was born, God went right to the shepherds who were responsible for producing the lambs that would keep the sin off the people. And the, and the angel said to the shepherd, you know where you do this. You've been doing this a long time, but tonight a different kind of lamb has been born. Tonight a different kind of sacrifice has been given. Tonight an answer has showed up at the tower of the flock in that same Migdal eater that you've used to watch over your flock. I sent my own lamb and I've got my own plan and I'm about to take care of the devil in one night well that sounds so cute but you don't have no Bible sit down sister yeah yeah I got Bible Micah chapter 4 verse number 8 and you oh tower of the flock I told you it's right there in the Hebrew it's you, oh Migdal Eder. You say, is that the first time that's mentioned? Nope, go back to Genesis 35, verses nine through 11. You'll find it there. It's the same place, the same exact phrase, the same exact edifice, and it was used in relation to the keeping of sheep. All the way back in Genesis 35. Now we're here in Micah chapter four, and the prophet Micah gets this messianic prophecy, and we miss it. This is prophetic. Micah the prophet says, and you, O tower of the flock, that tower where sheep had been cared for, that tower where lambs had been born, that tower where shepherds had done the work of taking care and protecting the sheep, that tower on the outskirts of Bethlehem. History talks about it. To you, O tower of the flock, listen to this. He calls this tower the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Just a tower has now become a stronghold. Why? Because it's not just about the lambs that were born in that tower before Jesus. That place is about to become a fortified stronghold in the kingdom of God because the Lamb of God has been born there. Hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, the prophet Micah sees this tower out in a field and he says, you'll become the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Watch this. To you shall it come. Even the former dominion. Do you hear what the prophet is saying? He just encapsulated thousands of years in history in one verse. Adam lost the dominion because of sin. But on the night Jesus was born, God said, I'm going to give you back the former dominion. Hallelujah. When Jesus came, he was more than, was more than some religious 
figure. It was more than some guru. He came to restore the authority and the dominion that Adam lost when he and Eve fell in the garden. I came to tell you what they lost in a garden. God put it back when a lamb was born in a tower out in a field on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Adam lost dominion, but I came to tell you in Christ, we've gotten dominion back. That's why sin shall not have dominion over us. That's why when your children walk away from the Lord, you don't have a nervous breakdown and oh what am I going to do I know what to do I'm going to use my authority in the name of Jesus and point my finger at the face of the devil and tell the devil that I've got somebody living in me and my son and daughter have got someone watching out for them and you will not put your hands on my children you will not put your hands on my family you will not oh God I feel quickened by the Holy Ghost in the middle of my sermon. I've got a dear friend and brother back at the hospital right now. J.R. Fitch, Autumn Fitch, you need a miracle. I declare in dominion and in authority in the name of Jesus that your fever is coming down. Your heart rate is coming down. Your body is going to be healed by the power of the living God. In the name of Jesus, somebody praise the Lord. The former dominion shall come. In one little baby boy born in the tower of the flock, the kingdom will arrive. Well, how are we going to get the kingdom back? We need a political movement to overthrow Rome. No, we don't need a political movement to overthrow Rome. We need a baby. Y'all missing what I'm laying down today. America doesn't need some massive political reformation. They can't get their act together in Washington, D.C., We're praying for Washington to get its act together. And God is saying, you don't want me to let Washington get its act together. Because if Washington gets its act together, everybody will start thinking Washington is its answer and Washington is its hope. Washington will never get her mess together because Washington is not my hope for the future. My hope for the future was a baby born in a manger that is not in a manger anymore. That doesn't mean I'm not involved in government. It doesn't mean I don't vote according to the Bible. All those things are true. But at the end of the day, I do not lay my head down and rest at night because of who's sitting in some oval office in Washington, D.C. That man was elected in, and when they don't like him, they'll throw him out. But the man I am preaching, I feel him in my soul this morning. He was not voted in. He was not elected in. And you can sit there and look at me like you're ready to go to lunch if you want to. But somebody's cancer just got healed. Somebody's tumor just got dissolved. I wish you would praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Ghost. Ah, 
Hallelujah. Oh. I'm through here. He was born in the tower of the flock. The Migdal Edar. That tower out in the middle of a field. That is why when the angel said, go see this baby laying in a manger, they knew right where to go because many lambs had been born in that manger. When they walked in to the Migdal leader, the tower of the flock, on the night Jesus was born, there was a young peasant teenage girl laying with a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. He's laying there and the angels who've just, the shepherd who just seen the angels, they start freaking out because it is just as the angel has said. Just a few, probably a few hundred yards, maybe a mile away from where they were watching over their field, a baby had been born. Not just a baby, but the Lamb of God. And I'm getting ready to let you go, but I can't let you go until I tell you how they responded when they saw that baby. When they walked into that room, that tower of Eder, that tower of the flock, they walked into that room where all those other lambs had been born and now there was a virgin girl and standing beside her was Joseph, her espoused husband. And in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes was the son of the living God. And when the shepherds saw it, they had they looked at themselves and they said, we have a divine responsibility. We have to steward what we have seen. Because what we have seen is not just for our joy, but what we have seen is for the joy of everybody. The next time you are tempted to experience the goodness of God and keep it to yourself... I pray that the fleas of a thousand camels crawl up your leg and you get excited and remind yourself of how good God has been to you. I pray something get a hold of you that'll make you lose your introversion and suddenly become an extra. And don't tell me you're shy. Don't tell me you're introverted. Last night when Alabama beat Auburn, I beat the Georgia, for, pardon me. Last night when Alabama beat Georgia, you shook the double wide and you they called the police on you for disturbing the peace and then you come to church and you sit there and you watch the worship team worship for you you need to take a trip back to the manger and you need to see what the shepherds saw because when the shepherds walked in the room oh God I feel like preaching when they walked in the room and saw the baby in a manger they looked at themselves and said we got to go tell everybody what we saw and when they walked out of the room they walked out with a praise and they walked out giving God glory you know you've seen Jesus when you leave church and shout all the way to the car you know you've seen Jesus when you're sitting at the restaurant this afternoon and you have a flashback of the goodness of God and you begin to cry and you begin to lift up your hands 
and you, you begin to tell God thanks. Some of you are too cool. Some of you are too sophisticated. Some of you have forgotten how good he's been to you. But I came to tell you when I think about the goodness of God and all he's done for me, I have to praise him. I have to give him glory. I praise him in the sanctuary. I praise him in my car. I praise him in the firmament of his power. Nobody had to help the shepherds. Nobody had to tell them to praise God. When you see Jesus, you will give him praise. Somebody who's seen him, somebody who knows him, somebody who's witnessed his goodness, take the next 15 seconds, open up your mouth, do what the shepherds did, give God praise. That's an applause. I said, somebody think back to the night he jerked you out of bondage, brought you into liberty. Somebody give God praise. They, they left and returned. Mm. It's not that they went to another field. It's not they went to another house. They went back to where they were before they met Jesus. But when they went back, they didn't go back the same way. They left in wonder, but they came back in praise. And I want to tell somebody in this room today, some of you are about to get another glimpse of Jesus. Some of you are about to see him one more time. Woo, thank you, Lord. Some of you are about to get a fresh revelation of the master. I'm not talking about another lamb. I'm talking about the son of God that was born in the tower of the flock. And when he came, it was a sign to all of us. Life will never be the same again. Hallelujah. They left and returned, went back to their field, and they praised and glorified God. I pray for our church. I don't ever want us to get cold. I don't ever want us to forget the night when the Lord showed up and pointed us toward the manger. Does anybody remember the day you got, I'm, listen, sometimes I have to be honest and there's a bunch about my childhood. I got saved as a young boy. I don't remember all the details, but I remember countless nights when he showed up and revealed himself to me. Anybody remember the times in your life when God showed up and revealed his goodness to you. Whatever you do, whoo, keep on praising him. Keep on glorifying him. Don't lose the wonder because the shepherds who had raised all those lambs knew that night that after this lamb, this boy, this baby Mary gave birth to, Every shepherd knew the world will be different because you are alive. There's a song Devin sings to the kids. She sang it when they were little and they got older so we don't sing it. But now Genesis and Asher, 
They sing, she sings, uh, it was so real when the wise men arrived and the angels were singing. That's a Whitney Houston song. Your name, that the world would be different cause you were alive. That's why heaven stood still to proclaim. One day, an angel said quietly, this is Mary singing, that soon he would bring something special to me. And of all of the wonderful gifts he could bring, who would imagine, do it again, who could imagine, I'm going to try to be my inner Whitney, who could imagine a king. That's who he was. He was not just a baby. He was the king. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're in this room today, maybe you have never heard about his love for you. Maybe you don't know Jesus came to save all the world. Not just the decent church people, members of churches, but people who were last night in a bar house or a prostitute brothel. Maybe you was hugging a strip pole. Maybe last week you was hooked on dope. I don't know. Maybe you were in church last week, but you know in your heart you're not right with God. It doesn't matter if you've never known Jesus or if you've known him and you feel a million miles away from him. Today's the day of salvation for somebody. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you're in this room, you'll say, Bishop, pray for me. I just want to give my life to Jesus. I want the Lord to save me. I need to get some stuff right with God. Would you pray for me? Because I, I know I'm not right with God, and I want to be right with God. If I'm talking to you when, you when I say three, if you want to get right with God, I don't care what you did last night, last week, what your struggle is, what your problem is, what you're addicted to, doesn't even matter if you're churchy. If you're not saved, I'm talking to you. If you're in this room and you know you need to come to Jesus and you want to do it today, I want you to lift your hand when I say three. One, two, three. Pray for me. Yes, sir, I see you way back there. God bless you. I see you way back there. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Everybody look at me. We're all standing. I want everyone to look at the person on your left and right. We don't come get people in this church, but we will always love you and accept you just like you are. You'll come as you are, and he'll transform you into the man or woman of God that he's calling you to be. Just come. You say, Pastor, I got to go get some stuff right. No, you don't. He's going to help you get some stuff right. You don't need to go flush no alcohol. You don't need to go flush no bag of weed, no bag of dope. You don't need to go get rid of anything. Just come and give him your life, and he'll take care of the rest of it. And we want you to know in this house, that's how we come. We just come as we are, and God does the rest. Come on, I would need a witness in the church. I want you to look at your neighbor right now. I want you to ask them this question. Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? Your right and your left. Ask your neighbor. If you lifted your hand, or you should have, 
when they ask you that question, if you need to get right with God, if you lifted your hand or you should have, would you come stand with me right now? I want to pray for anybody who wants to give their life to Jesus, who wants to get some stuff right with God. Anybody at all on this Sunday morning. I know people have got to go, but I'm going to ask you to just keep the movement down for just a minute because there's people who lifted their hand and I want them, I want them to have a real opportunity to come to Christ before we leave this building today. Anyone at all who needs to come to the altar and pray, come right now. Anybody at all? God bless you, baby. God bless you. God bless you, family. I'll wait all day on you. I'll wait all day on you. Come on. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I don't want to leave like I came. Come on, sweetheart. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Somebody, they're still coming too. They're still coming. They're still coming. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They're still coming. Come on, family. Come on, family. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Would you stretch your hands toward these precious family that have come? And would you pray for God to strengthen them like you wish somebody would have prayed for God to strengthen you. Father, we just thank you for turning lives around today. We thank you for your mercy and grace, mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Bless everyone that's come to this altar today. God, give them grace and multiplied strength. We thank you that you're breaking addictions, you're breaking bondage, you're breaking the power of sin off their life today. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And we thank you for abundant grace. Come on, let's praise God for abundant grace today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. They're going to continue praying. Listen, you can stay as long as you want and continue to pray. We love all of you. May the Lord bless and keep you this week. And we'll see you Wednesday night in the house of the Lord. Hey, family, I believe God is touching hearts right now. The preached word of God causes the lost to come to Christ. I believe someone's watching. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you've never been in church. Listen, I want to tell you that it doesn't matter where you are in life right now. If you want Christ to save you, no matter what you've done and no matter how long you've been doing it, if you'll turn your heart to him, he'll save you right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. Say, dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I'm asking you to save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Lord, come in and be the king of my life. I give you my past, my present, and my future. And I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to rescue me today. In Jesus' name, by faith, I believe that I'm saved and a child of God. Amen. Listen, friend, I know that's a simple prayer, but I believe with all of my heart, salvation is as simple as turning from sin and turning to Christ. If you did that today, I want to pray that God give you a strong Bible-believing church. I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv, learn how the resources that we have can help you in your journey. 
Listen, we want to pray for you. Drop us a line on the prayer request. Let us know you gave your heart to Christ. And our team's going to be praying for you this coming week. You're going to get stronger. You're going to grow deeper in your love for God. You're going to become everything he put you on this planet to be. I'm praying for you. I love you. I'll see you next week. God bless.